Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. I'm not saying you're here every day. Of course not. But we should be here on a somewhat of a regular basis. But look what was happening then. Same thing, but worse today because all kinds of busyness in our life. Pastor Mark, I got too much stuff. Kids got soccer. We got the Iwana. We got the... I'll see you next month. Well, it's not going to work. You will never grow spiritually like that. Remember, you're being spiritually fed by the Word of God. You don't eat for the next week physically. More coffee won't help that. You need food. In a lot of places in the Bible, spiritual health is likened to physical health. It's easy to understand that if you don't physically nourish your body, that it becomes weak and in extreme cases, dies. It's a lot harder to understand that your spiritual health is just the same. Pastor Mark will be trying to help you see the need to be fed spiritually regularly. In his teaching today, you'll hear what the scripture has to say about your need for your spirit to be well fed. You'll also find out that you have a role in helping people have positive experiences at church meetings. It's not just the pastor's job. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. He'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 as he begins his message, Encouragement in the Middle of Increased Persecution. Now, we begin in this, and I have a question I want to ask you right now. How would you define a healthy church? Now, I don't mean, well, let's see, how many of you had surgery? How many of you have this? Are you got a cold today? No, we're talking spiritual health, spiritual health. Well, the church is not a building. It's a living organism, a body of believers who are here to make God look good, to carry out the purposes that he's given us. Now, the Bible gives lots of characteristics of a healthy spiritual church. You can actually go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, And you'll discover many of the things, there's probably eight or nine in there that you can just see are healthy, 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 healthy. And what you want to go to is a healthy church. Well, Paul's going to give us two of those spiritual characteristics. And I think you'll like them because you actually relate to these two. Here we go. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Well, what you see there is a team of leaders. Paul, obviously, the Apostle Paul is the head. But Silas and Timothy played a huge part as Paul planted churches around the areas there in the Middle East. 
Now, he is that leader, but he has a team, Silas and Timothy. And later he has other people working with him. See, you need to understand this. There's no way any senior pastor, any lead pastor, whatever they call them at their church, could function without a team of gifted leaders. I want to say to you, we have a team of gifted pastors and elders on this campus. There's no way I could do this by myself. God did that. God did that for a reason, because it's not about one individual at all. Now, the real head of the church is not the lead pastor or the senior pastor. It's God. Thank you, Jesus. Huh? And it's really Jesus, but we use those terms interchangeably. And God designed the body, not just leadership, but all of you are a team functioning together. You have unique God-given gifts, so the church will be spiritually healthy. Now, understand this. When you came in, people have been working all week getting this ready. All kinds of things are going to be ready. Now, when you came, you had praise and worship teams. You know, they just walked on at 6 o'clock this morning and said, what are we going to sing? Let's see what it sounds like. How many of you would like that? Nobody would like that. I wouldn't like that. Well, some of you sing off tune, so it wouldn't matter to you. But (laughs) they've been practicing all week. Look at the guest services people that have taken care of you. How about the parking lots? See, that's a team. We all serve together. Do you know there's thousands of people, I don't know what the number is now, like 13 or 1,400 people that serve. That's amazing. Thank you. Now, to give you a picture of what the body of Christ kind of is like, how many remember playing with this? Anybody remember playing with that? Yeah. And if you, your kids started playing with it, later you said, where's the arms? Where's the eyes? Where did it go? Well, when you see that, this Mr. Potato Head, you, you see all his parts. You take the eyes out, can't see. Take the ears out, can't hear. And have the feet, you ain't going nowhere. Have a cup of coffee, good luck, no hands. So understand, that's the way God made us. We function together. We're a family. We're a family of God. And you have unique individual gifts that other people don't have. Paul says it like this. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So just turn to your neighbor, which is part of the body, and just say this. I need Christ and I need you. Come on, turn turn right now. I need Christ, and I need you. Now, Paul is writing, you know this, because the book is called Second Thessalonians. He's writing his second letter with the help of this team to the church. It's about three months after he wrote his first letter. He's in Corinth. And he's writing. Now remember, this church was started by the Apostle Paul for a very short time. It was kind of was like a little Jewish synagogue, but they didn't know anything about Christ. And the whole town of Thessalonica was pagans. They didn't believe in God at all. They just had all kind of dead gods. But Paul came in, shared the gospel, and many people of the Jewish nature just left the church. They're not interested in Jesus, weren't interested. And you'll see later, they're the ones that caused the persecution. But some Jews became Christians and quite a few pagans 
came to believe in Jesus Christ. So this was a very small, very young church. So he had already written one letter to them. Now he writes the second letter for two reasons. Here we go. There was fake news, nothing political. There was fake news saying that the rapture, which you'll learn about again, had already come and all the believers now were living in the seven years of tribulation. And we'll talk about the tribulation. That's when the Antichrist is introduced. And that's when the world becomes one world government, one world religion, one kind of one world economy. Now, when you see that happening, it's actually seven years of hell on earth, except for the first part of that. Now, so evidently, why did they believe this? Evidently, somebody wrote a letter and said, the rapture's gone. By the way, those of you who don't know in the rapture, Jesus is going to come in the air, and all Christians are gone instantly. Well, the rapture couldn't have come. He's writing to Christians. It didn't come. And of course, somebody wrote a letter saying it had come, and it was a lie, and they signed Paul's name to it. So he has to write something. By the way, you know, Satan's kind of deceptive. You know what I mean, right? And so he has to write a letter to explain and clarify the truth that the rapture didn't happen. And of course, you're not in the tribulation. But the second reason he wrote his letter is because it seemed to these young believers they were in persecution. That's what's going to happen in the, in the tribulation. Christians that actually go into the tribulation will be persecuted. Most people who accept Christ during those seven years of the tribulation, if they accept Christ during that time, they will be killed for Christ, almost all of them. So they're thinking, we're there. I don't, I don't know what Paul's saying, but we're there. We're persecuted. So he writes this letter saying, no, you don't have to worry about it. You're not there. And I want to encourage you. I know you're suffering. I know you're having persecution, but I want to encourage you. So let's look at verse 2. Paul writes kind of a normal way. He opens the letter. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at that verse. Sometimes we forget when God puts certain things when the Bible was written in a certain order, a certain order. And you see right here, the first thing he says is, look at it, grace. Well, look at this step. I show you a, a truth of what Paul's trying to say, and you need to remember it. The only way to experience God's peace is first experience his grace. You see, when you come to salvation, you become a Christian. How do you become a Christian? By grace. By grace, you're saved by faith. Okay? Let me say, here's another one. Got to put this in order. You don't get water baptized and then get saved. Am I right? Yeah, you get saved first, then you're water baptized. You see how that works? Well, this is the same thing. So if you're not a Christian today... Here's one thing you won't have. You will never have. You'll never have the peace of God. Because you have to experience God's grace. By the way, it's a gift to you. If you just ask him to forgive you, you can become a Christian. You have the grace, and then you you don't just get God's grace in heaven, but you get peace even on earth in the midst of this crazy mess that we have. The peace of God, the peace of God. So Paul is writing that, and he's reminded us how important grace is. Look at verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and rightly so. And he's going he's gonna to encourage them in two areas. He's proud of them. 
And rightly so, because number one, your faith is growing more and more. And number two, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. So Paul knew enough about these believers, this small church. And this is a picture of a heart of a pastor, the heart of a shepherd. He's proud of these new believers, and he knows they're going through a tough time. So he wants to look and say, I want to encourage you, because trials and difficulties can discourage us. I'm not listing all of Satan's tools, but these are very common ones. His favorite tools are depression, discouragement, and the loss of hope. He loves to do that. Now, how many of you would rather be encouraged than live a discouraged life? How many go for encouraged? Good. If you go for discouraged, then you're depressed. You need hope. You need, well, I'm just fine with being depressed, best of my, that's just my nature. No, that is not God's nature. That's Satan's nature. You don't know this, but I teach all the pastors this. When a person leaves our church, doesn't matter who's teaching, and you read the word of God, I tell the pastors, all, doesn't matter the passage, always make sure that when the people leave the service, they leave with hope. You glad for that? Or would you like to walk out and say, man, he beat us up like everything. I feel like an idiot. I'm never going back to that church again. You know, that can happen. I want to leave you with hope because the hope of the world is Jesus. So Paul's doing the same thing. Encourage to inspire courage, confidence, and hope. So here's what I'm hoping. At the end of this service today, you'll leave in better shape spiritually than you did when you walked in. Now, that's not because of me. That's because of the truth of the word of God. Amen? Amen? All right. Now, look at Hebrews 10.25. Paul, I believe, wrote this. Look what he says. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. What is he saying? Here we are 2,000 years ago. Paul writes this. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing. Here's what he's trying to say. If you're going to be growing in your faith and your love, you can't come to church once a month. I'm not saying you're here every day. Of course not. But we should be here on a somewhat of a regular basis. But look what was happening then. Same thing, but worse today because all kinds of busyness in our life. Pastor, I got too much stuff. Kids got soccer. We got the Iwana. We got the... I'll see you next month. Well... It's not going to work. You will never grow spiritually like that. Remember, you're being spiritually fed by the word of God. You don't eat for the next week physically. More coffee won't help that. You need food. So Paul challenges them. Let's read this together. Here we go. But here we go. Come on. Let us encourage one another. Did you know that one of the reasons you're here is to encourage one another with a smile? With a handshake? By letting them go in front of you in the parking lot? (laughs) If you need to come to the altar at the end, we'll have you down. (laughs) I'm serious. Does anybody here like being encouraged? Of course we do. But I want you to see this last line. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
This verse means more to me than any time in my life. What is Paul saying? He's saying there's a day coming when we won't meet again because the second coming of Jesus is happening. But before that is the rapture and then seven years of hell. You want to make sure you're ready either for the rapture or death so you go to heaven. Are we closer to the coming of Jesus a second than we've ever been before? Look at the signs that you see. I'll be presenting many signs, Jesus speaking about the signs coming soon. So that's why Paul says, Satan will come to discourage you. He'll come to depress you. He'll come to separate you. And one of the first things I'll tell you in the passage is, at the end of time, Jesus even said it, many people will walk away from God. And we're having churches walk away from God like crazy now. They won't teach the Bible anymore. They just teach what they want to teach. Again, Paul says, I know you're in persecution, but I'm so proud of you because you're increasing in your faith and your love. Well, what is faith? Faith, it's the confident assurance that what we hope for is absolutely going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. You say, Pastor Mark, is really God coming back? Yes, it is, because he's promised he's coming back. Well, I want to see it. You will when he comes. You have to believe it. Now, their faith was growing. All of us need our faith to be growing. How does faith grow? How does your faith grow? Remember, it's kind of like a muscle, faith is. Now, watch this. Three ways I'll give you. Hearing and reading the word grows our faith. When you leave a church service or your quiet time devotional and you've read the word, your faith should increase because you're reading the promises of God. Romans 10, 17 says it like this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now stop just for 20 seconds. If you're in a church and they're not really preaching the word, why are you going to church? It will not grow your faith at all. Actually do the opposite. You won't have any encouragement at all. Second way, I can't just read and hear the word of God. Number two, I have to obey the word. Obeying the word grows our faith. James says it like this. Don't merely listen to the word. It's no use for you to be here or have your quiet time and you read all this. And, wow, that's really good. I need faith. Walk out the door. Nothing happens. You don't ever even do it. You don't even go for it. Now, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Know the word. Do the word. And Paul's saying to them, I'm so proud of you. Your faith is growing. Your love for each other is evident. Wow, beautiful. Now, the third one, I don't care for, but it's biblical. So I have to teach it to you. Facing trials and testings and troubles grows our faith. Now, why would that faith grow during that time? Well, see, when everything is going good in your life, we don't rely too much sometimes on God. Sometimes if everything's it's three weeks in a row, it's just, it's just like perfect. Well, how many times will we be in the Bible? God, help me out of this situation. I really did. You're not going to be in the Bible and, or in prayer with that at all. Why? Because everything is what? It's mountaintop. Whee! It's good up here. All of a sudden, you get a phone call. You're on a list. They're going to let 27 people go. 20 have already gone. 
you're on the list. You get a call from the doctor. Please come in. We found something we didn't see the first time. Your kid calls. I'm pregnant, 17, a million things. Now, what do you do with your prayer life? Is it any more increased? Is anybody listening to me? No, you just go, oh, everything's just perfect, Pastor Mark. I never do any different. Then you're not a Christian. When things are difficult, who do we go to? God. So your prayer life grows more. So sometimes God allows difficult things in our life to do what? Grow my faith. God help. There's no way out of this. What am I going to do? What did the doctor mean? We put our trust back where it should be, in God. When it's going good, we depend on ourselves. Paul knew this, and he knew these people were trusting God because they couldn't do what they knew they had it to do in this persecution time. Now, you need to understand what is happening. James says it like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Consider it pure joy. I've been a Christian 70 years. I don't have that down yet. How about you? Don't tell me you have that perfectly down. I know you don't. We have to work ourselves through it because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's what these people are doing. They're still absolutely trusting God by faith. Now, then Paul says this. Here's the second one. The love every one of you has for each other is increasing. You see, he looked out at the people and he knew they loved each other in the church. He got word back from Timothy and Silas. These people are loving people. They love each other. One of the most important things we learn from Jesus, from the Old Testament, all the laws and all of those things, when it comes to the New Testament, some of the people said, well, what do we do with these old commandments, these Ten Commandments and all the other commandments in the Old Testament? Jesus says, well, I'm reducing it down to two. Two. We're not going to have to worry about all those laws in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you two. And what were the two? It's called the Great Commandments. Now, I want you to get your hands out like this. We haven't done this for a long time. So everybody, you say, Pastor Mark, what are you doing? Just put your hands out. Obey your pastor, okay? (laughs) Everybody, balcony, I'm watching you. Okay, good. Just hold your hands like this. We're to who? First. First, we're to love God, then we're to love people. How do we do love God? Like this. Where is God? He's where? He's there. So here we go. We love God, and then who? We're to love people. So hit them. Right next to you. Just hit them. (laughs) See if that person's alive. Or wake them up, whatever you want to do. We love people. It's percolated down to those two things. Is that amazing? Now, you know, Jesus then goes a little farther. makes it hard for us. We're also to love our enemies. I haven't got that one perfect yet either. So, again, so he's saying in the church... You guys are amazing. In spite of the persecution, you're loving God and you're loving each other. I'm so proud of you. Today, Pastor Mark asked how you define a healthy church. He then taught from 2 Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul, in his praising the Thessalonian church, gave examples of how a healthy church behaves. You learned that one of the jobs you have as a Christ follower is to love and be an encouragement to your brothers and sisters, as well as those outside the church. 
There's so much to learn from Pastor Mark's current series, so be sure to join us again. In the meantime, we'd like to offer you a CD copy of today's message for your own archives or for you to share with friends and family. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on Order a Message at the top of the page. There you'll be asked for the mailing information and be sure to include today's date. Each CD costs $5 to cover materials and shipping. Again, to order your CD copy, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue his teaching, Encouragement in the Middle of Increased Persecution. You'll hear more about the importance of growing your faith through both hearing and reading God's Word. You'll learn that there's more to your faith than just hearing or talking about it. You need to begin living it out as well. Pastor Mark will tell you how to do that. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time. Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series, Live Here Now, Then Live There Forever. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.